if you want something, like you got to A, commit to it and you got to make sacrifices. Like, no, you don't have to give up your entire life. But I mean, I can't tell you how many thousands of hours I've spent reading articles or doing continuing education courses. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice or medical education. If you are experiencing pain, discomfort, or any other medical or physical ailment, please consult a licensed medical doctor or physical therapist. This is the strategy of fitness. Hey, this is Dan Gore from the Strategy of Fitness Podcast. We'd like to thank you for all of your support. And if you love the podcast, please recommend to a friend. Find the Strategy of Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you can. On Instagram, we are at the Strategy of Fitness. And we also give you the best gym songs every week. The Strategy of Fitness official hitters playlist on Spotify. The Strategy of Fitness has linked up with Whoop, the best wearable technology you can use. If you go through the link in our Instagram bio, you can receive $30 off your subscription. Welcome back to the Strategy of Fitness <laughs> Podcast. My name is Nick Cressy, joined weekly. This week, solo with Dan. What up, Dan? Hey, man, what's up? Yeah, before we get anywhere, I told you a story that you never heard before when you were here. So I want to share it with the listeners. Are it, they ready for this? The this is a pretty good one. Of all time. This rivals the Brazilian job with Marky Mark. Let's go. <laughs> so this is a gym story. We used to go to this gym, Nick and I. It was kind of the first gym. My dad took me there. It was in this, it was the Dickinson Medical Complex. So in Milford, Delaware, they had all the doctor's offices in a big complex. In the basement was a gym upstairs, doctor's office. I'm setting the scene for you guys. And kind of one of the first kids at our high school, he'll remain nameless. I'll keep this anonymous, even though you're not, not the hugest fan of this kid, but he, he had a brilliant idea. He was kind of like one of the first kids in high school that gets into weightlifting. He was pretty yoked up from what I recall, a couple of years older than me and probably a junior or senior in high school this time. And this is just one of the funniest stories because his idea, and this is, I, I cannot make this shit up. I wish I could make this shit up. I wish I was this good a writer. I'm certainly not. He thought it would be a great idea to fucking take all the weights from the gym and then put him in the trunk of his car after the gym closed. So he, I guess, was working out there late. He got the keys to lock up. Somehow, I don't know if he was working there or he like was just a really avid client and he had the keys to kind of lock up. They kind of trusted him. Horrible fucking idea. <laughs> and he took all the weights from the gym, like all the dumbbells, a lot of the plates, and put them in his car. And he drove it out to like a forest by his house. And then fucking buried the weights underneath the ground and covered them up with dirt. And his idea was, and this is what he told the cops, which he immediately got fucking arrested for and got in trouble for. Was he told them that he wanted to start his own gym. So his idea was if he could steal these weights and bury them under the fucking soil and then bring them back out again, then he could start his own gym. And yeah, he obviously later. he got... His, his plan was the yeah, yeah, like Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, let him ride. And then like a year later, open his own gym. So I thought that was a fucking hysterical story. And of course he got caught because he's the only person there and they gave him the goddamn keys. So of course he got caught. They figured out who it was. They interviewed him. And obviously, I guess he broke down. So yeah, I paired him back in there. <laughs> the dumbest fucking thing you do. So let's say you're like a 16-year-old kid. And you find yourself listening to the strategy of fitness this episode. Don't do that. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> let's let's just let's think about this a little bit further. So this guy puts the effort in to probably back his car up to a doctor's office, essentially, where you know there's cameras, even in the early 2000s, and load up these weights, drive them. I can just imagine the back of the car just dragging. Them. <laughs> <laughs> he probably only wanted to make one one trip, so he's loading up as much as possible. <laughs> Probably thousands of pounds and probably some shitty car. Digs digs a shallow grave for all these things so they're easily accessible in a nearby community bed of trees. Like it's not even like there's forests around there. And no, no, it's like you're, you're yeah, you're basically in a neighborhood. And then immediately rolls on himself and says that he wanted to come back a year later and open his own gym with the weathered, buried weights. This guy is. He's next level. I'd love to know what he's up to now. I would love to know what he's up to right now, but I'd also, there's another part of me that is very happy and content with never conversing with this human being ever again. So, you know, <laughs> shout out to you. No, I, really, no, I, make it sound, I don't think I really knew. I think I knew his brothers better than him, but, but I feel like in the haze of all the years that go by, I really don't recall maybe even which person it is, but I, do, I knew that that's a real story that actually happened in our town. They should raise a banner at the high school for that kid because he's a fucking legend in my book. That's all. He I is pretty, pretty, pretty fucking rad. You didn't have the balls to do something like that. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wouldn't even fucking think about it. No, God, that's, I mean, the, the the amount of work that goes into that, all the stupid shit I did, it wasn't hard. You know. <laughs> so how? Let's look at this logistically. If you put like, let's say you stole thirty dumbbells and twenty plates, that's. 60 trips to your car? Yeah. Well, and that's you only half, have two hands. That's half the thing I'm thinking about. I know the gym so well. There was a, it was a really narrow stairwell. So he's, he's having to make that trip up with all those weights. <laughs> I didn't even think about the stairwell. It's at least 20 steps. It's basically like some of the escalators you see in D.C., like the Bethesda escalator, which is like 60 steps down. You fucking go it was so forward. steep and so many steps. That's the best part. Oh, it's all uh, that, that I hope I hope he had an accomplice, but I really don't think he did. I think it was like a solo venture. He he couldn't have had an accomplice because anybody would have been like, all right, so so what's your plan? Like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Now, should we get him a, a like his own Rocky S statue in front of the Dickinson Medi- Medical Building with like a shovel and dumbbells around him? Maybe because it's yeah, if something needs to be immortalized here, I think that this story doesn't get enough credit. Like I couldn't imagine in a million years doing something like. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. When you told me it, it made me laugh for a week. It was, and it's still does. <laughs> and a, a statue of that guy, just like you said, with a shovel, maybe like reaching back. With his Buick last weight. So good. So and it, maybe the, maybe the Buick LeSabre like statue as he's loading the weights or whatever yeah, fucking car exactly. he has. <laughs> maybe it was Kia Soul. This before Kia was out. can rally around, that's for sure. That's so funny, man. <laughs> so good. Thank you for telling us about that. What'd you hit in the gym this week? You deloaded a little bit, right? Yeah, after comp, I kind of deloaded. I spent Wednesday working on, you know, getting back into working on some gymnastics and the ring muscle-ups. I did have a fun little one I wanted to tell you about. It was real, real simple. I mean, like the simplest workout kind of 
it's probably about a million ways to modify it, but 30 cal. this is just four time, quick, 30 calorie row, sumo deadlift high pull at 95 for 30 reps, and then 30 toes to bar, quick as you can do it. So I hit the row in like a minute five, 30 cows a minute five. So I was kind of cruising on the row. And I think I finished the whole workout in like 4.36 or 4.37. So again, it's sub five minute. It's a burner. Your forearms are going to be like, I can barely grip afterwards. So that was a fun one of just like, there's no more efficient way to use five minutes of your time. Your gas. Sumo deadlifts, deadlift high pulls are awesome. And I think they are under-programmed. I avoid them because they're so hard in my opinion, but they're fucking great when I actually have to do them. So me and my buddy Dan were hitting these and he had like a complete, and he, he got me by like, I think nine or 10 seconds on this workout. He's pretty good on his gymnastics, but he does his sumo deadlift high pulls fast and then gasses out and has to take a break. I can do like tens and twelves, but I have, I go pretty slow. What is your strategy with the sumo deadlift high pull? I mean, I, I don't have a real strategy. It really depends on the weight. 95, I can string out some big reps. You know, typically when I'm doing them, it's, it's 95, 115, 135, something like that. 135 gets to be pretty small just because it, it is a weird movement. It's kind of foreign to me still. I, like I said, I don't hit them as much as I should. I'm just saying, not even from a Metcon perspective, but like a bodybuilding perspective, it's a really good full body movement. When, when you do it right, when you get that full extension at the top, you're blowing your traps out, everything. Yeah, and I like to think of it, two, two things. It was introduced to me by David, our gym, because I'd never heard of the movement before, to be perfectly honest, before I started CrossFit. And the one thing he said is like, yeah, you know, you might think, because two things that kind of get a bad rap sometimes in, in certain circles for injury prevention is that shrug, the shrug motion, which I've talked about on the podcast, I'm not the biggest fan of, although it's sick to have big looking traps, like you guys said, how to fill out your sleeves, and then also upright row position. So it's kind of combining the upright row with the shrug, which can cause some shoulder issues if not programmed appropriately. I think if you program appropriately, you'll, you'll be fine. But the biggest thing with the sumo deadlift high pulls, if you have a good hip pop, the bar flies up and you don't need to utilize quite as much upper body. So it's a better, more efficient and more balanced activity if you get the hip pop. I think where it might get a bad name is if you don't get the hip pop and you're bullying it up, because that's a really heavy weight to be upright rowing and shrugging right? If you're not doing the hip hop appropriately, that's step one. The other thing I wanted to bring up with that is cycling, right? When I cycle that I stop at my hips and then go down like a snatch. I, I'm one of those people when I'm cycling a snatch, I will stop my hips, go back down, tap, and then I'm back up. So I did cycle my sumo deadlift the same way. It's a, like with both, it is a little bit slower, but I can hang on a little bit longer. So just want to share that. Yeah. What about you, Nick? What did you, anything to add there? And then also what did you hit at the gym? No, I, I think you nailed it. I think it's, uh, again, I, in a Metcon, it can get sketch. I've been there where, where you start kind of, you're on your toes a little bit too much, especially if you don't have that little hinge in the middle. So be careful if you, if you do incorporate them. Good thing is they're typically, typically lighter weight, 75, 95. Like I said, it can get to 115, 135, but that's not often. For me this week, dude, I, I had a little scare. I, was, I didn't share it with you guys. My, I did something on my back, but I was actually smart and kind of took it easy over the weekend. You know what it was? I don't know if you ever do dumbbell squat snatches. They fucking suck. Um, single single arm or double? Yeah, single, single arm, right? Single arm dumbbell squat snatch. You do them? Yeah, I, I, I have single arm dumbbell squat snatch. I heard a great, I can't remember who to give credit for this, but it was a great critique of kind of 
why not to do this, but I'll let you get into your experience then if you want, I can, I can touch on that. I mean, it was programmed at 70. I didn't have a 70 pound dumbbell, so I had to do it at 80. It was either 60 or 80 and I went to 80 and it was, you know, I think sets of 14 and I had five rounds of them and I was, I was doing them and, and pistols basically back and forth. And I knew when I was doing them that I was just not in a great position. I knew warming up. It's just not a smooth movement to me. It seems sketchy, but it was one of those things that as I warmed up and I was in round three and round four, I was like, well, I'm not going to stop now. And yeah, I paid for it for a good three or four days. I actually was scared. I was like, fuck, I did what I used to do when I did back squats. But instead of going back to the barbell the next morning, I just didn't. So eradicated that quickly and I'm feeling good, you know, what, six days later. But what did you what did you hear about or what do you know about that that movement? Yeah, I would just say that for most people, their experience might be very similar to yours. That when you do the squat snatch with the dumbbell, it's everything has to be perfect, right? Like you can't have hip mobility deficits, you can't have elbow and shoulder mobility deficits, you cannot have knee mobility deficits, and you can't have ankle mobility deficits. And then it has to be symmetrical side to side because most programmed workouts are going to be using the right and the left, right? So some coaches would see that as an opportunity to say, okay, let me check this person's mobility. Let's do a squat snatch to the right. Let's do a squat snatch to the left. And what the, the specific strength conditioning coach was saying is that's really not a great tool for it because you're going to, it's not like with a snatch, right? Where you can like look back with the barbell, what are we doing here? It's like that person, because it's unilateral, because it's one side, they're going to do whatever their body can to get in that position. You were so, so spot on because on the right side where I have a little better shoulder flexibility, I got that torn labrum on the left and my hips are kind of trash either way, but I can bring that thing straight up over my head, like front facing. Now the left arm to kind of, to, to create some room, I'm almost coming from the side and coming up and over, you know, no one can see what I'm doing right now, but it's just, it's, it's totally different. One's coming in front of my face. One's coming like by my ear. So, I mean, like you're saying, two totally different motions. The endpoint's about the same, but God only knows what my, what my knees look like in the bottom or my hips look like. So, probably not a necessity for anyone out there. Maybe a good challenge if you want to learn how to do it cr- correctly. I think we can all say if you can learn that proper movement, you can probably give yourself a thumbs up on, you know, your mobility. I mean... Yeah. So, so again, the, the, the coach's point, you, you hit it right. Like there's, it's two different movements, right? So down the, down the kinetic chain, that's going to cause deviations of the hip, the low back, all that stuff. And there's just you, the, the client or the, the athlete is going to deviate in whatever way possible to complete the movement. That's not likely going to be the way that it works, but if you want to try it as a mobility, keep it light. And I can't tell you how many times you, myself and Rob have, touted the virtues of the, the the dumbbell power snatch, right? Which is a completely different movement because you're not going into a squat, right? So if you have it in your head that you want to work on dumbbell snatches and you want to get better unilaterally at snatches, do that. Yeah, and you can power snatch it and then work on the squat from the overhead, right? Yeah. At a lighter that's, weight. That's, and even that, I would say, I would, I would use the same argument with that as I did with the squat snatch. Again, I, I just think that that unilateral weighted squat 
overhead is such a brutal movement and I think it's going to expose you and probably injure you before it helps you. I would go, I'd get that, get the damn PVC pipe out. Let's go to the PVC pipe. Let's go with an empty barbell. Let's work on our overhead squat position. Let's work on our snatch positioning and and the million different drills we could do with that. Unilateral weighted stuff. I don't think it's bad, but I I don't, it's not my first go-to. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. All right. Let's tee up our guest, Corey Abadi, PT down in Miami. It was a good conversation. We stumbled upon him on Instagram. Actually, really weird. I, was, I saw something on like Grant Cardone. He was doing Grant Cardone body work. And then we dove in and we saw that he had some interesting takes on MMA and jiu-jitsu. And it's cool as you, as you hear here, he talks about working with, with power lifters and Olympic weightlifters and jiu-jitsu and MMA practitioners. So a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Strategy of Fitness podcast, Dr. Corey Abadi. What's going on, man? Not much, my fellas. How's everything with you? Good. You're down in Miami, right? Yes, sir. I'm on vacation this week in New York, though, at my parents' house where I grew up. Nice. Yes, I live down in Miami. We'll we'll get into that. So, okay, vacation. What'd you hit in the gym? We always like to understand. Are you taking a week off on vacay? No, no, no. No weeks off. I actually compete at the end of July at the Orlando Open for Jiu-Jitsu in the heavyweight class as a purple belt. Oh, damn. So, no weeks off. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no, no weeks off then absolutely not what's your height and body weight just so we get a picture of what we're dealing with here i'm five eight about a buck 80 solid build man i see you working on some power and i see you working on some power lifting in prep for the tournament i'm sorry olympic yeah, yeah. lifting is what i would say yeah I, I got you yeah i mean i got into olympic weightlifting maybe uh well i was introduced to olympic weightlifting three years ago when I started working with Fernando Race after one of his surgeries, he had a 60% quad tear of his left tendon, left quad tendon after competing in the Pan Ams by 60-70%. I was introduced to him by his brother when I was training with his brother at Fight Sports. And I wasn't training at all over the past three years just because I was dedicating a lot of my time to my craft, physical therapy, and to jujitsu. And then I recently picked up weightlifting, not competitively, but just as a all-around base to improve my athleticism with jujitsu. That's what we like to hear. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, weightlifting is definitely undervalued. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. And we'll get into that and kind of the science that backs it up. I mean, Dan and I talk about sure. it. We have a, a third person, Rob. He's also a PT mm-hmm. that, you know, we harp on it. But, all right, let's, let's kind of set the scene of, of how you got to where you are today. So take us all the way back growing up in New York, sports you played, how you got into this, et cetera. For sure. I played sports since I was maybe five or six years old. My parents had me in soccer, baseball, football, lacrosse, came to high school, St. Anthony's High School, and I started wrestling at 130, 135, 145 my senior year. And then I wrestled for a couple a couple of months in college and then I passed that off to focus on studying and partying a little bit. And then most of college, I didn't do much sports other than just, you know, focusing on grad school and stuff like that. Once I graduated in 2010, I flew down to Miami. Well, actually I had my last clinical internship in Kendall in Florida where I picked up jujitsu at Helion Gracie for about a year. And then I kind of traveled around to different schools for the next maybe five or six years. And then I came upon fight sports in just say maybe 2017 after working at UFC gym in Kendall, doing personal training and personal uh, physical therapy there. And my first three years out of grad school, uh, down in Miami, I was working just like a regular PT clinic, uh, core rehabilitation. And I got a lot of 
you know, stuff out of the way, so to speak, as far as like learning, uh, learning different, different ways to treat people, not really athletic populations, just gen pop, you know, mostly post-op, you know, total hip, total knees, maybe a cardio patient, neurological patient, you know, geriatrics, kind of across the board. And then I did home health for a little bit. And then I was introduced to the Royal Caribbean and Celebrity Cruise Line uh, from my, my boss, that what I was doing travel physical therapy with. Basically, they had contracts with workers' compensation. And so for the cruise ship, for the performers on Royal Caribbean Celebrity Cruises, they would scout them out, mainly in London, LA, New York, all over Australia, Asia, Europe. And then they come to the studios at FIU campus in North Biscayne in Miami, and they would learn the shows maybe two or three months, depending on the size of the cast, depending on what shows they're learning. And that's really when I was introduced to working with career athletes besides jujitsu. But that was probably one of my main first introductions to athletics was performing artists. And I've been working with them for the past four years. And then about the same time in 2017, I started picking up jujitsu training again at Fight Sports with Cyborg down in Miami. And then my career just kind of took off from there. I was introduced to Fernando Race and Olympic weightlifting, working on a bunch of the people over there, Hunter Alam, Alejandro Medina, Benson Robles. I went in at Fight Sports, a ton of guys over there. Also met up with Mario Sperry. I've been working with him for quite some time, a bunch of his guys that he that are uh, competitive athletes. And then I actually met Grant Cardone through one of the trainers at Mario Sperry's. I worked on him for a little bit and he really likes my work. He passed me off a couple of clients and he texted me one day and was like, Hey, I have, you know, one of my, one of my client's husband has this problem, you know, that, 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 what can you do? Uh, you know, I just gave him kind of like a general plan. Like, Hey, you could, you might be able to do this with him. And he's like, Oh, Grant Cardone has this. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, like message Grant Cardone on Instagram. I have, I have no idea what to do here, buddy. And then he worked me over Grant. And then, you know, I, I just kind of was always in the right place, right time with some people. <laughs> Yeah, I always think uh, right place, right time is is what really successful and smart people say to, to not give themselves enough credit. One thing I love about your story, and it's something I think every every PT could could get something from, is you went into a field of movement that you were obviously passionate about growing up in wrestling. You went into this jujitsu world, and sure. through the jujitsu world and the strength and conditioning world, you found yourself the clientele that you were interested in. And, you know, I can't tell you how many younger therapists come up to me and like, yo, what course should I take? What should I do? I'm like, all right, what do you do for working out? Like, what do you do? You're like, you know, what are you doing for your own body? And so many times they ask like, ah, I used to do a little bit of this. It's like, no, you got to kind of, and I've been guilty of this when I started, like, it's kind of like whatever, dip my toes in water. I do a little running here, do a little lifting here. It wasn't really <laughs> until I, I really dove into the strength and conditioning component till you start to attract those type of clients that are, that are more athletic. I don't know how that works or why that works, but it seems to, to have worked in my case in a, in, a, in a completely different way. But in your case, you've developed the whole practice out of pursuing your passion in the strength world and the jiu-jitsu world. So how do you speak to that as far as that pursuing it? And what would you say to a younger clinician out there who's just like, you know, maybe not really seeing the clientele that they want? Man, that's a multifaceted question. So there's a couple of different angles we can approach this. For one, this brings up a conversation that I had with another physical therapist that I work with at Fight Sports. And he works primarily with combat sport athletes, MMA and jiu-jitsu. And he was doing white tie for quite some time, maybe five or six years, competitive athlete, et cetera. And he had just recently come upon jiu-jitsu. And, you know, one of the first conversations that we had was really being able to speak the language of the athletes. And if 
And that was probably one of the biggest hurdles for me getting into working with the people, the performers of uh, Royal Caribbean and Royal Caribbean and Celebrity Cruises was I, I had nothing. I knew nothing about dance. Nothing. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the moves. I didn't know what they were doing. I could I could objectively view from a, a PT and a strength conditioning perspective what the demands of the sport were. I mean, and obviously I kept I, I kept in deep with the literature. I read a, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. But one of the main hurdles was getting them to buy into you know, to, to form a therapeutic alliance, so to speak with them. So that was definitely a big hurdle. And just being, you know, the wrestling and jujitsu world, man, it's, you just, you just got to put that time in. And that was probably this, the second thing that I spoke about with the same gentleman. So not only understanding the language, but also the sacrifice that's necessary because he had several conversations with, I guess, probably some of his students, he was a CI or something. And he was like, look, if you want to work with these top level athletes, cause he's, he's working with a lot of guys out of uh, Sanford MMA, where there's tons of, Tons of guys. I mean, that place is crawling with professional athletes. And he was talking, I guess he was talking to someone one day and they were like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to make that sacrifice. Yada, yada, yada. And he's like, look, you know, if you want something, like you got to A, commit to it and you got to make sacrifices. Like, no, you don't have to give up your entire life. But I mean, I can't tell you how many thousands of hours I've spent reading articles or doing continuing education courses. But I would say those are the two main things for any young or newly minted PT is understanding the language of who you're talking to and going that extra mile for him. And that's, you know, back to what you alluded to before about not giving myself credit. Like, yeah, I guess in hindsight, I could say that for sure. I mean, I've, I've taken many CEUs. I'm a certified orthopedic manual therapist. I have an emergency medical responder course, dry needling, cupping. I did the FIFA diploma in football medicine. You know, almost every single year I've been learning some new craft, some new skill set to provide a better service to my patients. But, and this is exactly what you're saying. None of that shit matters if you don't know what a guillotine is, right? Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Absolutely, man. They'll, they'll look at you like you got two heads on. Yeah, we live in such a we live in such a, a judgy world, and it's almost like, especially in tight knit. I mean, I, I used to have trainers work with me. I was in the military, and look, like one of the first things I did when I walked in and saw a PT or doc, whoever it was. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run, up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop mixed in water once a day and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. <laughs> 
It's like, who, who the fuck's this guy? Like, did, did he do anything? Like, did he beat his body up? Like, did, was he in the gym this morning? So you having that prerequisite to be able to say, hey, man, I've done the grind. I understand it. I'm working towards it. They're just gonna, there's going to be some inherent trust there that, that other docs probably don't, don't, don't get the advantage of. Definitely. Thank you for your service. What branch were you in? Navy. Ah, so was my father. Very good. I was medically DQ'd from the uh, military. My first choice was actually the Naval Academy, but I was uh, medically DQ'd for a heart murmur or a mitral prolapse I was born with. And then in grad school, I tried applying to the OCS program and again, medically DQ'd. But thank you for your service. I appreciate that. But going back to what you were saying, the trust, absolutely. One of the main things that I, that I had to manage at the Royal Caribbean and Celebrity Studios was because those were all workers' comp, sorry, workers' comp cases. They weren't going to a sports medicine doc. They were going to uh, just a kind of like a general pop medical doctor that would work with a 65-year-old guy that was drilling overhead because he's a custodian and a light, you know, a fixture fell on him, or he was climbing a ladder and he, you know, tore his, you know towards ACL or a lawyer that sits behind a desk and is like, in a, you know, doing litigation for major schools or something like that. So I can tell you how many stories, how many times these young athletes, 21, 22 years old, really just starting out in their career. And the doctor's like, quit your job, find a new career. And I'm like, what? Like, you can't be telling people this. Like, that's, that's awful. That's like, I, I don't even understand. That, that doesn't even make sense to me. You know, if, given the fact that so many people are just not even active in America, it's like, it's just mind blowing. But I mean, th- those conversations really shaped me professionally because trying to explain to someone like, hey, look, you know, yeah, you're injured. Yeah, you're under time constraints because they have, you know, you know just like a six to eight week boarding process to get on board, literally onto the ship. And if they're held back for whatever reason, I mean, they're holding an entire year salary from them. So their drive to get better and back to what they're doing is like, that's, that's their life. Because if they don't do it, they got to go back home to London or Australia and try and find some side job, you know, some random project that they could work on, as opposed to having like a year long contract where they have medical, dental, a place to live and a really good stepping stone to a bigger projects like Broadway or, you know, whatever's in Australia or London, you know, the East End. So, but yeah, I mean, medical doctors that don't know what they're talking about is horrible because a lot of a lot of the patients do put a lot of their trust in medical professionals because they're like, hey, this guy went to school for a number of years. He's got to know what he's talking about. And a lot of them don't. A lot of them never even picked up a barbell, you know, let alone see the inside of a gym. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the buy-in is, is what you're talking about and, and speaking the language is what you're talking about is really, is really terrific stuff. One thing that you've talked about, and I think the one thing that really turned kind of us on to your philosophy and how you do things, Corey, is mm-hmm. the importance of the Olympic lifts in jiu-jitsu, in MMA. Talk to us about why you feel that that is so important in these sports and what can you, what can you gain out there if you are a jiu-jitsu practitioner or mixed martial artist, what are you missing from these Olympic lifts if you're not doing A lot. Uh, there's a couple of angles you can approach with this as well. So the first thing, I guess, the, is the meta perspective where you need to really assess what it is that the athlete is doing to prepare for a competition or just the sport itself. So, you know, look at, taking a bird's eye view, what is it that you're doing technically, tactically, 
and strength training. So if you break those three components down and you look at just the strength, strength and conditioning perspective, it's like, well, how is it that we can test out this athlete to see what their cardio is, their muscular endurance, their muscular power is, and then you need to fill in those gaps. So one of the things that I often see in the jiu-jitsu community is an over-reliance on metabolic training where they're trying to like bang out reps and do like a CrossFit type workout. And then they're training on top of that. So they're doing like two a days, you know, and they're doing just say, 45 minute high intensity interval training program, maybe including Olympic lifts, but not like Olympic weightlifters do because it goes, uh, it's a, they're focusing more on muscular endurance as opposed to, you know, muscular strength and power. So when you look at the training programs of these athletes, I think it's an over-reliance on the metabolic portion of it and cutting a shy, shying away from the muscular power. But anyway, Olympic weightlifting in particular, I think it has a lot to speak about mobility, overall coordination between your upper and lower body, and then just raw, raw power. I mean, after working with Fernando for the past, you know, three or four years, it's mind-blowing the the strength that that guy has. And, you know, yeah, he's at the top of his craft for sure. He's at the top 1% of the world. You know, he's going to the Olympics in a month, but it's like, you don't, you don't have to spend the amount, because he does two a days, you don't have to spend, you know four hours a day getting to where he's at, you could, you might be able to do two, maybe three weightlifting sessions a week and you can capture just say 60 to 80% of what he's got. And for jujitsu athletes in particular, because they spend so much time on the mat, that's a lot of, you know, central nervous system burning out, so to speak, and to add high intensity physical training on that every day or very frequently. In my opinion, probably too much, but obviously individual variances you have to take into consideration. But Olympic weightlifting, I would think is is probably one of the biggest overlooked training regiments for jiu-jitsu athletes, in my opinion. I don't know what everyone else is doing out there, but I would say perspective. I mean, as as I get older, 34 now, and I kind of adopted these these lifts a little bit later in life, probably late twenty. Mm-hmm. The mobility's never been better. You hit it, it was like the first thing you said. But to me, like the two things that really jump out is mobility, obviously power, but mobility and, and just core strength, right? Like there's something to be said about getting in an overhead squat. A lot of people can't do that, especially with a load overhead. So if, if, you're, if you're fine-tuning that craft, especially a lot of these MMA and, and jiu-jitsu folks are probably training similarly. similar similarly. So mm-hmm. that, that can be you know, that differentiator that, that separates you. I would totally agree. I totally agree with that. Actually, Fernando Race is doing some of the strength training for Andre Galvao, and that guy's built like a horse. So he's been working with him since he was like 11 or 12 years old. I mean, I don't know if he's doing the strength, strength conditioning for him for that long, but I know that his current uh, training regimen is based at least, at least partly on Fernando Race's Olympic weightlifting program. So I think that speaks to it as well. I'm going to nerd out on some MMA, too, because I saw you had uh, Dos Anjos, Rafael Dos Anjos. Is it Dos Anjos or Dos Anjos? Anjos, yeah. Yeah, I saw that you had, you're working with him, and, and little kind of little notice, like, he's a pivotal factor in the course of MMA and Conor McGregor, because he was supposed to fight McGregor 
before the Nate Diaz, which obviously set, a, set off this trilogy, which is probably the most important trilogy in MMA history. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a career, I don't want to say it's sad because he's done great for himself, but I almost think about this alternate universe where he gets to fight McGregor and maybe that becomes a trilogy and he gets that shine because I always thought he was just such a phenomenal and talented fighter and he never quite got the love and the respect and, and maybe some of the shots that he should have. So I don't know how you feel about him and, and you know his career and how it went, but he's a really pivotal factor in the whole MMA universe and the UFC universe. Um, I really can't speak to his history in the MMA. I've only met him once and I, I honestly have not followed his career. I know that he's a phenomenal athlete. The day that I worked on him, he was working with Steffi Cohen in the ring, doing some sparring around. And man, that guy moves. He was injured too at that time. Like his, his, his hip was really banged up. He actually had surgery on it. And he posted that maybe two months ago, two and a half months ago, I believe. He had a surgery on his left left hip but i mean the guy's a phenomenal athlete but i, I really can't speak to his, his mma history what are some common what are the most common injuries you see with mma i mean i, I think or or jujitsu either one i mean i, I think the the football players the baseball players all, all the mainstream media sports we kind of get a sense of its knees its elbows its shoulders what are you seeing mm-hmm. primarily the cartilage related injuries because the joint i'm sorry the uh, sport is predicated on joint locks so arm bars toe holds knee bars, et cetera. But that being said, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure how much you could attribute or what percentage you would attribute to either poor training, overtraining, or undertapping. Because where I train at Fight Sports, the guys over there are all, all competition. I mean, I only do their competition class. And they, they hold off to the bitter end with anything. So the majority of injuries that I see, I would say, are primarily joint-related cartilage in, in nature because of joint compressive forces. I, I'm not too sure of the percentage of upper to lower body, arm, shoulder, elbow, wrist, knee, hip, ankle. But I would say the second thing associated with that would probably be poor mobility associated with a lack of a specific evaluation to overcome those hurdles. And what I found is a lot of the athletes are exceptionally receptive when they come up to you and they say, hey, I'm having a problem with this guard or this sweep and you say hey look let me you know let me take a look at it and like yeah your knee is injured but what's really going on is, is you don't have enough hip mobility or you don't have enough spine mobility and then it, you know you show them you say hey look this is what's going on and they're like whoa and they're they're really very appreciative of that because it means not only that they could address their primary injury but also prevent things from happening in the future yeah, and I think that there was, you know, in the MMA community, you always hear about, you know, uh, Ben Askren, I think, recently. And that's why I was surprised he was fighting. I don't know if he got a hip replacement, but it was like, boom, immediately after retire, he retires. And you see them get a hip replacement or, or you'll see them have some major reconstructive knee surgery. And sure. the one thing we don't have a good grasp on in science is how to produce new cartilage, right? We have the replacement surgeries. We have some more experimental procedures, things like the oats. But, but there's no great way. Like, kind of once that cartilage goes, it goes. And, and again, this is my own two cents and, and, and wrestling seems to be one of the biggest culprits for overtraining, right? We all know wrestlers are the toughest SOBs around. And my guess Absolutely. is the jujitsu players at that high level, the jujitsu, the high level jujitsu guys and wrestlers probably fall in that same, okay, we're on the mat. We're using a ton of hip mobility, ton of knee mobility, ton of ankle mobility, and we're possibly overtraining and then you add jujitsu and okay we're probably not tapping that doesn't sound like a great recipe for your joints it's not it's not but you know 
just like I spoke about before about sacrifices, this, these are some of the sacrifices that these athletes are willing to make because they're competing at that high level. And they know that seconds count in competition. And if they're able to hold off, like, look, let me tell you a quick story. The very first week that I came to fight sports for uh, 2017, I was working on one of their top coaches and he went away for a competition. I, I forget what it was. I think it was Worlds in Las Vegas. And he came back and, uh, you know, I saw his Instagram post. He had, you know, three or four gold medals. And he was literally, ho- literally ho- hobbling into the, the training facility. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, my first fight, I got heel hooked. And I'm like, all right. I was like, but you have like, you came back with like six gold medals. He's like, yeah, no, he, I heard everything pop. I just heard everything pop. And I'm like, he looked at the guy and he's like, I'm not, I'm not tapping to that. He laughed in the guy's face. He beat him. And then he fought like five more people and beat all of them. When he came back, so that day that he came back, his deltoid ligament on his ankle was shot. It was like, like this, just like a loose fish. And that's the type of mentality that, you know, these athletes are dealing with. So it's challenging in that respect to work with professional athletes because you're, you're trying to both look out for their, it's the trade-off, right? So you're trying to uh, significantly improve their chances of winning now, but in the long run, that means that they're going to be dealing with these issues in the future. You know, it's, it's the performance versus longevity trade-off. So you have these athletes that are very high level and they're, they almost need to compete or rather they need to train at that level in order to compete at that level. And anything less than that, to be honest, man, they're just not willing to accept. And yeah, it's inevitable that some things will happen, you know, total, total hip, total, total knee replacement surgeries. And I think the biggest thing is educating the athletes on, on that in particular, because, you know, many of them, not, not even, they might not even see that. They might just be thinking, Hey, I got to kind of grind out now, do what I got to do. And then when I'm standing on top of that podium, all's good. I was like, well, do you want to be doing this when you're 50, 55 years old? You know, do you want to be a coach? So I think that's also an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's cool perspective. And, and you're lucky to be able to share, you know, share that intimate relationship with these guys and actually get in their, get in their heads and, and hear that. Because so many people watch professional athletes on TV or whatever, and they just think that it's, you know, it's God given or it's you know, they, they were born on third base type thing. It's like, man, the amount of work. And the, the difference from the, the top 5% and the top 1% is as large as the difference from the zero to the 95. Like those guys and girls are so different in that last 5%. And it's that mindset. And it's the ability to say, yeah, I'm not tapping to that and have your, your ankle pretty much flapping around. You know, it's, it's just, it's another level. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. All right. I think we're at about 30. So we like to get our guests out on a couple quick fun little questions on the way out. The first one is the most important one. And it's what's your favorite non-alcoholic seltzer? <laughs> oh man, I don't even drink carbonated beverages to be honest with you. That's interesting. That's going to be a hard one to answer. All right. Then what's your favorite alcoholic? <laughs> what's your, what's your favorite alcoholic beverage? I like Guinness or black and tan. Guinness and black bath. Can't beat a black and tan. Can't beat a black and tan. That's good. <laughs> I see you're working on your snatch and you're going for a one rep max. What song are you putting on? What's your biggest gym hype song of all time ever? Pantera Walk. Ah, classic. It's a classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm big into. I grew up. I play the guitar and everything. 
We can oh, shit. Yeah. 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 Let me get this last one out of the way so Dan can talk about the guitar for fucking 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you define strong? And it's probably pretty interesting in, in your in your world, but like typically we ask weightlifters or operators or athletes or whatever. It's like, hey, if you're lined up in a squat rack next to the guy or girl next to you, like what's strong to you? In your world, what's strong? Like, how do you know? It's not a number. It's a mindset. You could be looking at, yeah. I mean, you know, because I work with such a diverse population of athletes, you know, both Olympic weightlifting and they're trying to put out the best numbers. And then, you know, jujitsu athletes, not necessarily focus on the numbers, but focus just on getting to the rep that's going to push them over the edge competitively. So you can definitely see it in someone's face. If you're training on the mats with them or if you're in the weight room, you, I I can look into someone's face and be like, you're not giving it a hundred percent. Or if they're like, it's like a trope in personal training, but it's like, Oh, come on. One more rep, one more rep, one more rep. And it's like, no, like you, you have like 10 more reps to go. And if you don't do them, like you're, you're going to vote, you're going to pay for it. You might not get it now, but once you step on the mat, that mental mindset of you not competing that 10th rep is going to catch up to you. And I see it all the time in training, definitely a mindset, not a number. So Corey, I know you went to PT school, so I know you, 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 you're not going to get away with that cop-out answer because remember when you had to make goals in PT school, that'd be a functional objective and then have a time dependency, <laughs> right? So it's the same shit here, right? Give us a number or some sort of objective quantifiable result here. Man, but in regards to what are you talking about? Like, like total work. You're walking into a gym in New York tomorrow okay. and you're, you know, you're, you're showing up somewhere new. What's catching your eye? Is it a 405 back squat? Is it 600 pound deadlift? Like, what's like one thing where you're like, oh shit, that guy's probably on a good training regimen. Man, I'm, I'm so spoiled. Look, my dad came to Miami about two months ago and he, he was watching, I, I was introducing him to Fernando Reyes and all the people over there. And Steffi Cohen put, comes up to a deadlift and Steffi Cohen's like, she's short. She's five foot four. She, I mean, she's built, don't get me wrong. But if you saw her, you'd, you'd be like, she's a super fit girl but you wouldn't imagine the number she put up and she deadlifted, I think like, I don't even know, like 425 that day. And my dad was like, what the fuck? Like, there's no way that just happened. <laughs> he's never seen anything like that. He, he told me later, he's like, I, I thought that girl was joking. I thought he, she was like trying to pull a prank on, I think she was training out with Jake Bosquet that day or something like that. But he was like, this girl isn't going to do that. And then he, she does like three reps at like 425 or something like that. But if, if I see a girl, her her size doing that I'd, I'd be impressed uh squatting again fernando race i mean he's not a, he's not like a he's not a power lifter obviously but you know he squats like you know upwards of 600 600 pounds you know if i saw someone maybe in my build you know clean and jerking 180 190 you know my, my numbers are kind of off with olympic weightlifting because I'm, I'm so skewed towards the that top percentage it's difficult to even contemplate any any lower number than that so let me let me do this for you it's a two a two a 200 pound cleaning jerk a 600 pound back squat a 425 pound deadlift thank you <laughs> it's moderate you good? <laughs> All right. then Corey says you're strong other than that you can kick rocks but if you do that Corey says you're strong you can keep practicing <laughs> keep Steph, going by the way 25 time world record Power power lifter. Is she a physical therapist too, Corey? She is, but she's not practicing. She doesn't practice, but she just lifts lifts weights and makes way more money than us. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that was one of the things she spoke about in one of her podcasts. And then secondly, I believe she kind of did the DPT program because she was she obviously an athlete, but also because it was like a challenge for her. She's definitely a very A-type personality where if she's, that's why, you know, the reason why she got into boxing, because she kind of crushed everything in powerlifting. And then boxing is just such an entirely different world than powerlifting. And she's, she's phenomenal athlete all around you know she was a soccer player in venezuela she did olympic weightlifting for a little bit younger years and then she got into powerlifting but man phenomenal athlete somehow i I stumbled on her page and she doesn't look that bad hitting gloves i mean anybody can look good hitting mitts i I get it but i mean it's not terrible well i mean man she's less than a couple of months in she just had a fight in dr she took care with a girl i think it's like the third round or something like that man i think she went to tropical park where they have like a boxing a bunch of people come from boxing and I don't know the gentleman's name, but he's been a coach from Cuba. He came from Cuba many years ago. He's been working at this tropical park for a dozen or so years. And supposedly he just heard her hitting mitts and he stopped what he was doing and walked over and was like, I want to start training you for your next fight. I mean, this guy, this guy's like a world renowned boxing coach. I don't know his name, but I, I can find out for you. I'm sure you'll see her on his, on his, uh, you'll see him on her page. But yeah, I mean, coming from the powerlifting community where everything is like straight, you know, up and down one plane. And then now you have to move into multi-planes, changing levels, you know, worrying about what someone else is doing. I I can imagine it's quite a challenge. Fernando Reyes, by the way, just for the listeners out there, 528, 528 pound clean injury. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, no wonder you, no wonder you can't measure strength because you're working with literal animals. <laughs> yeah, man. Even even the girl Hunter Alam that that trains there, she's definitely going to the Olympics in 2024, and she outlifts me. I mean, that's the thing. You know, I, I don't even lift, but I mean, her. She's just another phenomenal athlete, man. Awesome. And it, I watched her grow over the past year under Fernando Race and phenomenal. So I think Alejandro Medina, all of them. Guarantee, you watch them going to the Olympics 2024. Mm. Awesome stuff. Well, thanks so much for joining us. How can people find you on Instagram? At dr.abadi, A-B-B-A-T-E. Perfect. We'll post this. And tell us about your... Thanks, man. Good. Can you talk to about your practice, your your physical therapy practice, and and where people can find you as well there? For sure. I have my own PT clinic in Miami on the west side, 13944 Southwest 8th Street. It's a private clinic. I'm there Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And then my Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I'm either at Fight Sports or Hybrid Gym or Mario Sperry's. So I train train and work out of the gyms. And then I'm at my office Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. Living it up, man. That's awesome stuff. Yeah, blessed. I'm so blessed. (laughs) And Miami's pretty sick, by the way. Big, big, big fan. (laughs) Beautiful, man. I moved out 10 years ago from Long Island. I never looked back. I met my <laughs> wife after a year. That's it. Forget it. So good. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Dan, let's talk some uh, NBA playoffs quickly. What do you think of these last four teams? It's interesting, right? Because we got the Suns, the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Hawks. So not your tr- traditional powerhouses. I've uh, become a 76ers fan, and that was, dude... So brutal to watch that game. It, it was rough, man. So that now that for all the 76ers fans out there, I think Ben Simmons is done in Philly. You, you ain't gonna see him again. That's He's it. gotta go. To think they could have had Harden for him is that's gotta be tough for Daryl Morey right now. It's gotta be tough. However, I'm I'm a staunch Harden dismisser and I dislike him so much. And I the fact that he gained all that weight and bullied his way out of Houston. I don't I like just, either, but goddamn I, I don't I, I don't I 
I'd almost rather Ben Simmons, at least he's in shape and plays defense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's just me personally. But after this series, I mean, you're right. It, it was ugly. He's in defensive right now. He's he's really, really tough. And look, somebody I, will I, pay, somebody will pay for him. Somebody will pay for him. I mean, they'll, they'll probably go and get CJ McCollum or something for him. But to think when you could have had Harden, that, that's, a, that's a huge step down. And look, I'm not a Harden guy. I don't like him. You know, one thing that, that was apparent to me on that Saturday night game, the Bucks, man, Coach Bud, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be a hot take uh, ESPNer here, but they're just not – they don't know how to close out games. They don't know how to fucking close out games. They did not deserve to win. I was literally sitting there drinking beers, and I said, when they get a 24-second shot clock violation, don't even get a shot up with, what, 10 seconds left on the – I think it was down to like three or four seconds left, and it's still a two-point game, and, and I go, oh, Durant's going to end them. And they just got so lucky that he stepped on the line. Because did he he did exactly what he was going to do? Yeah, I, I I think that there's an inherent problem with the the organization and how they run the top of the key. Because I think Drew Holiday, I, I'm a big Drew Holiday fan. He had a really off series. I just don't think for whatever reason he was not the Drew Holiday I watched all season. But Drew Holiday needs to take more accountability. Coach Bud needs to take more accountability. Because I thought Giannis has his faults. But I like the way Giannis played that year. He gave, he busted his ass. He played he tried you know, so hard. Good God, he dude! Tried. I love that dude. I, I kind of love that dude. So I'm pro Giannis. I'm kind of pro Bucks. Trey Young is a great sports villain. I'll tell you straight up, Trey impressed the hell out of me. I, I'm a Trey Young kind of hater just because I feel like people are comparing him to Luca, and I don't even think he's on the same planet. I still don't. But I'll tell you, first that Knicks series, and again, his his kind of feel for the game is way better than I thought it was, and he's a way better passer than I thought he was. So shout out to Trey Young. Got my respect. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a fun last four games or last four teams. We'll see. I think you and I are in the same camp as long as it's not the Clippers. We'll probably fuck with that. I think Bucks Suns would be fun. Yeah, Suns are. I mean, I'm a big CP3. CP3 is the last of a dying. Like my favorite point guards are Isaiah Thomas and John Stockton. Like those short shorts, great assists. Like that's what I want my fucking point guard. You know, and, and CP3 is the last of a dying breed. You know, mid range game, great assist guy. Table setter can hit his spots, you know. Like I love that type of point guard. So, like, just as a traditionalist, really like what the Suns are doing. They have a cool team. I'm going to make my prediction. I think the Suns win whoever they play. I think the Suns win the NBA championship if Chris Paul gets back to his team relatively soon because it doesn't sound like Kawhi's coming back. I I heard ACL initially; it was non-contact. I I'd I'd be very surprised. So, this is just Dan got you know PT on the couch with no inside info. I would not expect Kawhi to come back, and if he does, I think he's going to be very, very limited, almost like Harden was, where it's just not – he might as well not, not even be there. Yeah, especially because he's so involved in the defensive side of the ball. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, that was your stream, guys. Watch the NBA playoffs. Watch – yeah, I've actually been watching a little bit of college baseball for, for whatever reason. I don't know why, but it's actually been on my TV for some reason. Let's talk about the book and then a hitter and we'll roll. You wa- or read or listened to Shoe Dog? Yeah, I'm in the middle of Shoe Dog. I haven't finished the whole okay. thing. So this was book of the week that Rob gave us was, but I, I do want to talk about it because it's a really good book. I never read biographies ever and I never read business books ever. So this is like definitely way outside of my comfort zone, but man, am I getting like, a, it's a really great story. I, I can't recommend this book because again, I usually don't give a shit about these books. It's a really good book. It's a great story. Very well written. And Phil Knight, who I know nothing about, comes off very likable. I like the, the the way he comes off in this book. It's actually kind of cool and kind of inspiring. So I definitely shoot all by Phil Knight. Definitely check that one out. That's a good, awesome. good Rob book of the week. 
Good, good. All right, and lastly, do you have anything to add to the playlist this week? I, again, do not, just because I have been kind of out of the gym, although working out a little bit, I just haven't been hitting the music up too much. What do you got? Um, Estella by Kenny Hoopla and Travis Barker. So he is kind of like a new guy. He's kind of starting to get some singles out there, but kind of that, you know, standard punk emo. And he's got the Travis Barker seal of approval, and he did the drums for it. So we in Estella by Kenny Hoopla. Hell yeah. I was going to ask about smokes, but I don't know if you got anything. Uh, no, nothing, nothing smoky this week. Nothing new, anyway. No, I'm going to start. I got, I got to start venturing out. I want to do a dessert on there or something. I've hit a lot of the meats, man, and I'm going to keep hitting the same meats. But I need to, I need to switch it up. Do some, some casseroles or some shit. So fathers that had my favorite venturas, the mussels in the medium white wine sauce. Just mussels make mussels and. I fucking love mussels. If they're cooked so in, good. in, in the, the right sauce, the best, dude. And you know they, what? They're no? cheap. So th- no, I got, like I said, out of Ventura. So oh, Ventura. Okay. Like yeah, yeah. They do the sauce and everything. And really underrated seafood because they're not super expensive. So when you get order mussels, it is a big ass order. It's like clams where you get seven. I mean, you just get a whole bunch of mussels and they make mussels. Mussels make mussels. My daughter eats them, loves them. So great Father's Day. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. We were, oh, we were, we were drinking a fair amount of, of seltzers this weekend. Uh, you were too, by the way. <laughs> you too. I, I, I yes. want to give your, your Instagram a bit of a shout out. I thought that was very funny. Were you hitting, hitting some balls with the boys from the gym? I was, we did. So we, it did not, did not go great. I was, I was, my goal, I didn't give a fuck about golf. I was like, I'm averaging a, a white claw hole that did that for way too many holes. And yeah, we, we, we did like a three-on-three scramble. Not the most well-liked uh, six-sum, I would say, in the Pinelands Golf golf region that day because we were getting a little tuned up and we were definitely playing six to a hole at times. And the guys there were, you know what? Here's a rant. You know what? I'm here. We're fucking ranting. Is there anybody who takes more fucking like pride and authority in their job than the the ranger slash attendant at the golf course it's like the second we roll up there they try to fucking alpha dog us about where we are and who's in what car and where we're gonna be and from the first fucking person i meet there to the last fucking person i meet there who i was with some some guys who had too much to drink and they let him have it it was great i didn't care because i was again i had so much to drink that day and i was out playing golf with my friends you know basically had to shiv me in the liver to like even get me to respond at that point so i didn't care but they they let him have it because they were all just they were dicks the whole time and it's like do you realize like we're spending money here we want to spend more money here later and you're just an asshole the entire time like obviously yeah, can we not pretend like everyone doesn't know what the fuck people a, a group of guys show up at a at a golf course to do we're there to get fucked up, be away from our family for a bit, and fucking have some fun and blow off some steam on the weekend. Like, is that that hard to understand? If you want, throw a throw a, a bro tax on it or something. I'd pay the extra 20 bucks for these people not to look at me like I'm a jackass when I'm sneaking my 15 beers on the course. <laughs> when you're sneaking your 15 beers on the course, when you're drinking them on the course. And then also, like I said, can you think of a job? This is insane to me. With less actual like stakes that people take more seriously i mean it would be like the guy at wawa grabbing you by the neck and being like listen like you didn't wash your hair like it it would be the most insane thing if every other part of society operated the way a golf course does where the most menial person acts like they they invented the fucking game and by somehow you shotgunning a white claw in the ninth hole is 
is devaluing Jack Nicholas's legacy. It's like, fuck off, man. You know what? I'm outside. I'm drinking beers. This is what I'm going to do. You know, I always feel like the years. guy I'm not changing now. I always think of the guy, the first one is constantly judging, you know, I, I fucking hate. Oh, him. he's a judger. He's a fucking judger. He's, 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 already is, he's telling you where the cart path only is. Got it. I got it, buddy. I already got briefed on this. Like it's a fucking mission. And then he's there to see what your tee off is. So he can already start guessing where you're going to be a problem on, you know, Oh boy, you know, four, right. It's like, fuck you guy. Ugh. I'm glad you went on. I'm glad you went on this rant. Yeah, and, and let's get the, the the whole T number one judger. Now, I am not a good golfer by any metric. My best score ever is an 89. I can shoot anywhere from 97 to 110 based on, you know, how many claws I've had or what I'm feeling like, but I could bomb the fuck out of a drive. So there is nothing that feels better when that judgy McAsshole on the fucking first hole comes up, expect you to duff on the woods and drop a one 280 down the center, knowing that his old ass ain't doing that. So good. It's so good. I fucking love it. I love it. You guys got loose. You had fun and America's back. So, you know, the summer of 2021 will be the, will be the summer to remember. We are back. It it is awesome. I feel like people are pretty jacked up. All right. I'm enough of my rants, enough of my bullshit. Have a great day. Perfect. I'm going to watch the Valley versus the clip show. I hope you guys enjoy. We'll be back next week.